was uh, reading a story this week. <clears throat> I don't know if this, I have uh, never heard this story myself, but multiple sources have confirmed this to be a true story. There was a church in Dallas, Texas years ago that was going through a major church split. And um, in fact, what this church did is it split into two parties and both parties decided um, contradictory to what 1 Corinthians instructs us to not take each other to court, this church decided to take each other to court. Two sides. And the news in Dallas began to hear about it and people began to get excited about it. And it became a big deal in the Dallas area for quite some time. And as they went to court, like I said, opposite of what the word of God instructs us to do, the judge rightfully so looked at them and said, I cannot solve a church dispute. And he said, your denomination needs to fix this. And so they took it to their denomination and the denomination um, sided with one side of, these, of this disagreement and the church split and they gave, and what they were suing over was the church property. And so they gave one of the parties the church property and the other party left and started their own church, probably right across the street because that's what we do as Christians, right? We get mad and well, I'm going to show them and I'm going to go in the same town and start a church. But anyway, they went and they kind of, so we had the split. Well, that was what many people would think would be the end of it. Well, <clears throat> there was a news person. There was a news person that decided that they wanted to do a little more digging and what actually brought this about. And it wouldn't be, it would be really funny if it wasn't so sad. But what happened was an elder in the church at a meal got a smaller slice of ham than the child sitting beside him. So what is, we laugh. You know, like I said, it would be funny if it wasn't sad. Could you see the headlines? Pork splits the church, you know? It'd be, this would be a great Saturday Night Live cartoon, a great skit. But the sad reality is, is this isn't the only time this happens. Churches split. Christians walk away from their faith because we couldn't agree on a carpet. I've seen it. We get angry because we went to chairbacks instead of pews. We get angry because the pastor didn't smile at me the right way today. And we start fights and we start disagreements. And it's common stance, but it's not only common stance in the church today. It's been happening really since the beginning of the church that we see in the New Testament. And Paul addresses this to several of the churches that he started in several of the letters. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he scolds the Corinthian church for quarreling and division. In Galatians, he warns the church in Galatia against the dangers of rivalry, dissension, and discord. In Colossians 3, he instructs the church in Colossae, hey, you need to learn how to forgive each other as you've been forgiven. In the church of Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 4, he encourages them not to indulge in corrupting talk and to put away all bitterness and wrath and anger and scandal and malice. We see that this has been happening and it's walked throughout the history of the church. And this is what Paul is addressing here in Philippians chapter 1 <clears throat> as he begins to move us into Philippians chapter 2. He's talking to them about unity. Now, the church in Philippi, they were, 
for the most part, theologically a sound church. They were devoted, they were moral, they were loving, they were zealous, they were courageous, they were prayerful, they were generous. We see Paul speaking of their generosity. Yet this church in Philippi faced a danger of disunity and a danger of discord. Now, before I get too far into this message, let's look at what unity is not. Because I think we get confused in the church what unity really is. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. <clears throat> unity is when we are of one mind, one spirit, one purpose, one mission, one goal. That is unity, and that, that is what Paul is challenging the church to have, unity. But I think what we've had in the church world today, and really what we've sought in the church world today, is uniformity. What does uniformity mean? It means no alternatives. It's the absence of alternatives. Uniformity is when we all believe the exact same way, we look the same, we dress the same, we act the same, same political values, sameness. Uniformity leaves no room for diversity. Uniformity leaves no room for differences. Uniformity is the state of being uniform. You've all seen the crazy pictures, right? The crazy family photos of everybody dressing the same. You've seen them. In fact, I have a few of them to show you today. Let's check out these pictures, right? You've seen these family photos. You've seen them where it's, this is not what Paul is asking us to do. Let's keep moving. This is, this is we're gonna try this next Sunday here at Destiny. That's what I'm wearing for Easter, right? Uniformity. Wouldn't you like to wear that? Mom, I'm not putting that shirt on. This family looks happy. There looks, there's just, look at that little girl on the right. She is not happy to be wearing that outfit, right? Just, hey, I crocheted you all a vest. You're gonna wear it. We're gonna take it. Look at that dude in the back, man. That hairdo. All right? Girl, guy, whatever it is, I can't tell. Let's keep going. Oh, look. Uniformity. <laughs> Uniformity, right? We all got to wear the same thing, right? Let's keep going. All right. Let's all wear the same thing. Let's wear police outfits. Let's all... Uniformity. All right, there we are again. Let's all put on blue shirts. Let's take pictures together. Mom, I don't want to wear this shirt. Let's keep going. All right, yep. We got the brethren. We got the brethren all looking stylish today. Oh, look at that. Look at that ugly family right there. Just, we're all wearing the same. We got to match. We got to look the same. Keep going. Oh, look at that. Now, remember, remember those fun family Christmas photos? Mom, mom's like, I will not take a picture. And then we then find out it's on social media, all right? The Richie kids enjoying it, enjoying it. We got, we got just one or two more here for you guys today. The Finleys, just... This is, uh, you got to look this way. And then my last, my last one, you know, just a uniform. <laughs> look at that uniform. We're all just looking the same. Paul is not telling the church in Philippi wear the same uniform. Paul is not telling us, hey, we all got to take weird, creepy photos together. 
Paul is not telling us we got to think the same, dress the same, believe the same. That is not what he's saying. Unity is not uniformity. In fact, I would say that diversity is necessary for unity. The beauty of the body of Christ is that we come in all shapes and sizes, all races and all backgrounds, all incomes and all styles. God is not a cookie cutter God. Our differences are gifts to the body of Christ. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is also not conformity. Meaning unity doesn't mean we simply don't talk bad about each other or everyone is getting along. Unity doesn't mean there's never a disagreement. Unity doesn't mean we disagree and just smile for the cameras. Unity is much more than that. Unity is when people of diverse backgrounds and opinions and gifts come together, come together for the common good, the mission, the great commission, the call of God. We are stronger because we are unique. And unity, let me, hear, let me tell you today, unity is not an option for the church. Unity is not an option for the church. It's a must. Psalm 133 tells us how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Unity is a must for the body of Christ. And this is what Paul is trying to teach us from Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through chapter 2, verse 4. Let's pick it up in chapter 1, verse 27. Pick up where we left off last week. Only, everybody say that word again, only. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or whether I remain absent, I should hear that you are standing firm in one spirit and one mind, this is unity, by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now this word contending here can be translated as striving Together, And I know it's cliche, and I know we've said it a lot at Destiny, and I know that you've probably heard it at other churches. I've even seen commercials about it. We are better together, right? We are better together. That's why we are launching table groups, because we want to do life together. We are better together. We are better when we stand united. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, a kingdom that is divided ends in ruin. A city or home divided against itself cannot stand. I think one of the biggest reasons the church has failed to advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ is because we have failed to stand united. We've tried to be uniform and look the same and think the same in the church, but we have not been united. We will not advance the gospel. We will not become all that God has called us to be until we are united. I've watched this my entire life. I've watched churches split my entire life. I've watched churches in this city split. When we moved here, the Lord spoke very clearly to Tosh and I that that was a big thing that's happened in this community time after time after time. And we wonder why is there a first Baptist and a second Baptist and a third Baptist and a fifth Baptist and a first assembly and a second? It's because they've all split off each other. I've seen it my entire life and I don't get it, but as Christians, it seems like we'd rather knock each other down than help each other get back up. 
We'd rather tear down than build up the body of Christ. But if we are going to make a difference in this world, we must be united. Unity is key. In fact, in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed one of the most powerful prayers in all of the Bible when he looked to his father, God, and he said, God, my prayer is that my people, the disciples of today and the disciples of tomorrow, they would only be united just as you and I are one. Because Jesus knew that Satan would do whatever he could to divide, to distract, to destroy unity. It's happening in the church since the beginning of the church until today. Unity is good and unity is a must because unity reflects God's heart and God's purpose and God's desire for the body of Christ. Unity is good because when we walk together in unity, we advance the gospel. Let me say that again. Unity is good because when we walk together, when we walk hand in hand together, we advance the gospel. The Bible tells us that our love for each other proves to the world that we are disciples. Our love, or we could say our unity Our lack of disunity for each other proves to the world that we are disciples. But I want to tell you, what I've experienced in the church is our lack of love and our lack of unity have done the exact opposite of what God desires. We have not advanced the gospel because of our lack of love. We can sit there and point fingers and blame anyone and say it's apathy or it's this guy's fault or that girl's fault or whatever it might be. I believe the church is not advancing the kingdom of God and pushing back the gates of hell as much as we possibly can is because we have failed to stand together in love and in unity. And the world has looked at us and said, they talk so poorly about each other, they tear each other down. Why would I want to be a part of that? Unity is key. And the sad truth is most churches collapse and many Christians walk away from their faith because of division within the church. Let me tell you something today. It's it's of little value to be unified against opposition from the outside when we fail to be unified within. May I say it again? It brings little value if we unify against opposition from the outside. And, and I'm just going to, I know Christians, listen to me, we want to unify against all the crazy people that believe politically different than us. We see it. And churches have become political platforms rather than religious platforms, right? And we want to unify and we want to get people to believe the way we believe politically. And we only want to go to church with people that believe and we want to stand against opposition that come against our rights and values. But man, we sure tear each other down on the inside. It's of little value if we unite against the world, but we stand divided in the church and we're destroying the church. And this is what Philippians chapter two, verse one through four is teaching about. I believe this is the most concise and practical teaching on unity in all of the New Testament. In fact, in these four verses, chapter two, verse one through four, Paul gives us a formula for spiritual unity. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter two, verse one through four, pick it up with this transitional word, therefore. Therefore, this word therefore is taking us back what Paul was just speaking of in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through 30. He's taking us back to that and he's saying, hey, not only do we want to stand strong against opposition from the outside, 
Because that's what he was speaking of. Hey, is you want to be strong and you want to stand against opposition from the outside and you don't want to be easily come into fear, right? That's what he's talking about. But he's also saying, hey, not only do I want to teach you how to stand against opposition from the outside, but he says, I want to teach you how to stand against opposition from within. So he says this word, therefore, it's connecting these two passages of scripture. And he says, therefore, if, everybody say if. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort provided by love, if there's any fellowship in the spirit, if there's any affection or mercy, and you say, well, I don't see all those ifs. Well, listen to me. If you look at this in the original language, that's how it states. Every one of these start with that word, if. And this is these, there's four if statements that we see. And usually when we see the word if in a sentence, it is a conditional word. And it leaves room for choice or it leaves room for doubt. For example, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. It's, it's conditional. If you do this, then I will do this. Well, this isn't really what's happening here in Philippians. This is more of a rhetorical if, if you want to say So maybe a more complete way of saying this would be to say, therefore, looking back at chapter one, verse 27, you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. Fast forward to chapter two, verse one, instead of the word if here, let's use the word since. Since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is comfort provided by love, since there is fellowship in the spirit, and since there is affection and mercy. The idea of what we see Paul saying here in Philippians is you have received these things, and if you have received these things and you have, then you have a responsibility to do this. So Paul's saying, since you have this, then do this. And the same message to us today is we should be motivated to desire to actively seek unity in the body of Christ because of what Jesus has already done for us. That's what Paul is saying. And we see this playing out here in Philippians chapter two. Let's look at it. Four motivations for unity. Number one, since there is encouragement in Christ. Since there is encouragement in Christ, the word encouragement is the word paraclesis, and has the root meaning of coming alongside someone to give them assistance by offering comfort, help, counsel, or exhortation. It's the type of help we see in the story of the Good Samaritan. This is that word. Another place we find this word is in John chapter 14, verse 16, where Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. It's that word. This is the word we're seeing. It's the word paraclesis. And he will be with you forever. Who is it? He is the Holy Spirit. The most important and powerful encouragement to us as believers comes to us directly from the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying, since you have experienced this level of encouragement from the Father, shouldn't we all endeavor to be united and to encourage each other? This is what's happening here. And I know this isn't some glamorous shouting type message, but I believe this is one of the most anointed practical messages I've ever taught in our church. Since we have encouragement from the Father, right? 
Shouldn't we also encourage each other and build each other up and be united? Yes, that's what Paul's saying. It's not, hey, if, you've, if the Lord's ever encouraged me. No, listen to me. If you are a believer, the Lord has built you up. He has encouraged you. Encouraged you. He has helped you. He has brought you comfort. And since he has, then we have a responsibility. The second reality that motivates unity is this, since there is comfort provided by love. The word comfort here is the word paramuthian and has the literal meaning of speaking closely and softly with someone. And with it is the added idea of giving comfort and solace. Its basic meaning, I want you to hear me, is close to that of paraclesis. Paul's saying the same thing different ways to the body of Christ. Both words here, Encouragement and comfort show a close relationship marked by concern, helpfulness, and love. This word here is the type of love that's given by Jesus when he comforts a sinner. It's the type of comforting love that Jesus gives a sinner. Paul is telling us, take comfort in the fact that as believers, the cornerstone of your faith is that Jesus loves you. In fact, I want everybody in the room to say, Jesus loves me. Come on, say it again. Say, Jesus loves me. Come on, say it again like you believe it. Say, Jesus loves me. Now look at your neighbor and say, Jesus loves you. Every Christian has been comforted by the fact that God loves them. That's the foundation of our faith. What should keep us united is we have been encouraged and we have been comforted by love. And the third thing is it says, since there is fellowship in the Spirit. Now, the Greek word here for fellowship is the word koinonia, and it means participation, partnership, and sharing. As believers in Jesus, I want you to hear me. This is one of the most exciting things to me. Not only do we receive encouragement from the Holy Spirit, but we are partners with the Holy Spirit. We are partners. I want you to hear me. I'm not sure that we understand just how much we have as New Testament believers. In the Old Testament and before the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, there had to be like all these hoops and all these things you had to jump through to get access to the Father. But since Jesus died and rose from the dead, we now have direct access to the Father and we have that access through the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He has been given to us as our comforter, as our counselor, as our helper and we can partner with him. You and I are continually connected to God through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that lived in Jesus lives in you and it lives in me. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that caused deaf ears to hear and blind eyes to be opened and the lame to walk lives in you and it lives in me. We are partners. We have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And since we have fellowship and we can partner with the Holy Spirit, shouldn't we also partner with the body of Christ and be united with the body of Christ? Right? And the fourth thing we see, the fourth statement that motivates unity is that says, since there is affection and mercy. Now this statement's a little different than the others. As believers, we know that Jesus has affection and mercy toward us. Well, the Greek word for affection here is the word bowels, intestines. So in the Greek, this would be translated as having deep gut level feeling 
We have, we know that Jesus has deep gut level affection and mercy for us. But what Paul is saying here as a result of enjoying encouragement in Christ, comfort in love and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, we too should have that same gut level feeling, compassion and love and tenderness for each other. This is what he's saying. I want you to get this again. Because of what Jesus has done for you and because of what Jesus has done for me, we should have the same gut level love, compassion, and mercy for each other. We should be united and we should have each other's back, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. And in essence, I told you unity is not uniformity, but in essence, we do wear the same uniform. What is it? It's the blood of Jesus, right? And we should be united, not because of our DNA, but because of our spiritual DNA. That's why we should be united, because we have encouragement from the Father, we have comfort of love, we have partnership with the Holy Spirit, and we have deep gut-level affection for each other. And that's what Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, and that's what Paul is saying us to us today. Paul is reminding us what we already have in Jesus. And so he's saying, not if you have these blessings, that's not what he's saying. Since you have them, be this. Since you have this, then respond this way. Since you have this, here's what he's saying, then you are responsible to live in unity with others. Hello? How many of you have been forgiven? How many of you have been comforted by love? How many of you partnered with the Holy Spirit, right? Since you have this, be this. What am I supposed to be? Well, let's look at it. Philippians chapter two, verse one through four. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the spirit, any affection or mercy, verse two, he says, complete, everybody say complete, complete my joy. Now this term complete my joy is pretty straightforward. Paul has great joy. In fact, joy, the theme of this letter has great joy when he thinks of the church in Philippi, but he's saying, hey, if you want my cup to overflow, if you want me to be really joyful when I think about you, then be this. What do we want to be? Continuing verse two. Then be of the same mind. By having the same love. By being united in the spirit. And by having one purpose. I want you to notice something today. These four things that he says to be, each one of them connect with the four things previous. They all flow hand in hand. Be this, verse two tells us, since you have these four things, encouragement, comfort, fellowship, and mercy, be of the same mind, be of the same love, be united in spirit, and be of one purpose. Since you have these, be these. All of these are pointing to one thing, a deep, abiding, internal unity in the church. Let's break each of these down real quickly. Four marks of spiritual unity. Number one, we will be of the same mind. Does that mean that we're all going to like the Kansas City Chiefs? Yes, that should be what that means, right? That should be what that means. But some of you aren't spiritual enough yet to get that. It's all right. No, it should, means we should be like-minded about the things of Jesus Christ. It means we should think the same thoughts that Jesus thinks. 
It's the prayer of John chapter 17. Father, may they be as one just as you and I are one. It's that level of like-minded thinking. Hey, I'm thinking it's, it's about the Great Commission. It's like-minded. We will not, a second mark of spiritual maturity, spiritual maturity is we will have the same love. We will be devoted to each other as brotherly love. We will have the same comfort that we've been given, is what it's saying. Remember, number two, you've been comforted by love. What it's saying is you will have that same comfort towards each other. It's saying you've been forgiven, you will forgive. And this is huge for the body of Christ. I think if we could just love each other, we could change the world. I really do. I think if we could just love each other, we would change the world. Again, what's that scripture say? How will the world know that you are my disciples? By your Number one, be of the same. This is marks of maturity, spiritual maturity. This is marks of spiritual unity. We'll be of the same mind. We'll be of the same love. And we will be united in the spirit. This phrase is only used here in the New Testament. Saying, Here's what's saying. We're different, but we're one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are different, but they are one. This right here is connecting us to the Trinity. This is what this is doing. We are different. We are different, but we are one. I have these, this verse here from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I just, I put it down last night. You can see easily enough how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It goes on to say it's the same in the body of Christ. Many different parts. Aren't you glad God does not make us wear crocheted vests to identify as believers? Aren't you glad we don't have to wear creepy, weird pajamas to mean we are believers in Christ, right? No, we are the same, but we're different. We each have different gifts, different looks, different color, different hairlines, different waistlines, different bank accounts, all of that, but we are still a part of the body of Christ and the spirit of God unites all those parts and he makes us one body and he makes us strong. And the fourth mark of spiritual maturity is we will have one purpose. Literally, this means one way of thinking, one intent. One intent. What is our purpose? Our purpose is the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. That, is, that should be our purpose. What was Paul saying in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27? Live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, right? The gospel is the good news of Jesus. And what are we called as believers to communicate and to advance? We are called to advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And we cannot advance the gospel message if we are not united. 
Yes, we have different gifts. I can stand on the stage and preach, and maybe you can never do that, but you can be creative, or you can do this, or you can do that. We all have different parts and different giftings. There are prophets, and there are teachers, and there are pastors, and there are people with the gifts of help, and there are people with the gifts of mercy. I don't have that one. And there are people with the gifts of giving. There's different types of gifts in the body of Christ. We don't all look the same or act the same, but if we're going to advance the gospel, we need to bring all those parts together. Listen to me. My body, if my toe says, well, I don't look as good as my face, my body's messed up. But guess what my foot does, what my body does. Why? Because I'm moving in the same direction. We're getting this. Marks of maturity. Marks of unity. I once heard a story about an African tribe that lost a child. This child had wandered out into the tall grass. And the entire village searched day and night, and they could not find that child. And many of them didn't even sleep at night. The morning after the child had disappeared, someone thought, hey, we should all hold hands and walk through the tall grass. And as they walked through holding hands, they found the child. But sadly, the child had already died. And the mother in anguish said, if only we had held hands sooner. I think that's what Paul is saying to us in the church. If only we would hold hands. Because you see, we are better when we are united. We are better when we walk through the tall grass of this world holding hands. We are stronger when we are united. And to close out today, I want to look at verse 3 and 4, and I'm not going to take a whole lot of time in verse 3 and 4. But I honestly, as we were worshiping today, I felt like the Lord just nudged my heart and said, this might be the most important thing in the whole message. Literally, I just kind of glossed over this. And as we were worshiping, I just felt the Lord just kind of begin to nudge my heart. Listen to me. It's one thing to say we want to be united as a church. And it's one thing to say we want to move forward on mission. But it's a completely different thing to do it. There's a reason that there's so much talk in the New Testament about unity because it's not easy to be united. Satan has been trying to destroy the unity of the kingdom of God since the beginning of time. This is one of his greatest tools. This is one of his greatest weapons against the body of Christ, tearing down the body of Christ. This is one of his greatest weapons. So let's make this real practical. And let me give you directly from Paul's mouth some do's and don'ts on how you can take the previous eight things I've talked about and make them become reality. Listen to what he says. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. I think that's, church, I, I, I think this is probably one of the most important. This is not one of my favorite verses in the Bible because I like me, Right? But I think this is probably one of the most important verses in all the Bible. And verse four says, each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others. What's Paul telling us? If we want to see unity become reality, listen to me today. Number one, don't be motivated by selfish ambition. 
Don't be motivated by selfish ambition. Number two, do treat others as more important than yourself. Do treat others as more important than yourself. Number three, don't merely look out for your own interests. And number four, do look out for the interests of others. I think those four things, if we can get those, we can change the world. I really believe that. I believe it's so simple, yet it's so hard. I want you to hear me as we close out today. Destiny Church, I honestly believe we are on the brink of the greatest move of God this church has ever seen. I want to prophetically declare to you today, as your pastor, that you're not sitting in an ordinary church. I want you to hear me. I want you to understand the weight of what I'm saying to you today in the room and watching online. You're a part of a church that I believe God has literally put his hands on for such a time as this. I believe that with everything in me. I believe we're getting ready to see salvations like we've never seen. I believe we're getting ready to see lost people. I, I, I go to sleep at night and I literally see just droves and droves of people coming into this church. I see the broken, I see the wounded, I see the hurting, I see the maimed, I see the, I see the crippled, I see the healthy, I see the whole. I see all of them, I see them walking into this church by the masses. I see people walking in here broken and I see them getting healed. I see it. I, I, I see prophetic words. I see marriages restored. I see young men and young women. I see bondages, chains that have been on them for their family broken off of them. I see it. We, I just want you to hear me today. We are on the brink of something supernatural as a church. But the enemy is not going to lie down. Well, they're on the brink of something special. I might as well. No, the enemy is going to fight more than ever before. And I believe he's not going to fight us just with weapons from the outside. Yes, he's going to do that. He's going to throw everything he has at us. But I believe the greatest thing we can do to see this move of God come to pass is unite together. Link arms. Stand hand in hand. And so my prayer today as your pastor is, would you pray with me the same prayer that Jesus prayed? Lord, could we be united just as you and your father were united? But I ask you to not only join me in this prayer, I ask you to pursue unity in everything you do. I ask you if you've been a divider by nature, repent of it. I ask you if you've been a gossip, repent. If you don't have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. Take a vow of silence, right? Stop talking. Shh. Why? Because I'm going to stand for unity. In fact, here's what I want to do. I didn't see this. Jeff, we can go ahead and take this down. I didn't know how it was going to end, but here's how we're going to end today. Pastor Ed, come up here. Todd Rice, come stand up here. Jackie Bradford, will you come stand up here? Greg Barton, will you come stand up here? Slay, will you come stand up here? I know that you love this. Chris, will you come stand up here? 
Jeff, will you come stand up here? Tracy, will you come stand up here? Amanda, will you come stand up here? Lee, will you come stand up here? Jimmy Gallion, will you come stand up here? Ty Barnes, will you come stand up here? Malachi, will you come stand up here? Michael, will you come stand up here? And Tice, will you come stand up here? And Wellen, will you come stand by me? No? Will you come up here with your mama? Jim, will you come up here with Wellen? Here, they're going to sit right here. I want you guys to link arms. This is how we change the world. What you see up here is a picture of the church. Young men, young women, moms, dads, black, white, married, single. This is body and when we do this come here Up, you let go <laughs> look what happens number one he gets out here all by himself and you're easy prey for the enemy but the enemy can just walk right through and this is what this this right here is what the churches look like this is what it's looked like. Move out. Some of us are fighting united. And some of us are fighting by ourselves. But today I call us to repentance. And today I call us to action. Take your place in the wall again. Let's go. And let's stand united, arms locked, walking through the tall grass of this world and let's reach all that are lost and let's bring them home before it's too late. We are better when we are united. All right, let's give God a praise. Can we do that? Thank you guys. I know that some of you love standing on the stage, but I just started seeing that picture as we were praying. If you're with me today, and, I, and I'm not, don't stand just because. If you, if you will join me and say, Pastor Chad, not only will I pray for unity, I will pursue unity at all costs. I will pray for unity, and I will pursue unity at all costs. If that's you, would you stand with me? do this. Let's get on mission. And let's make a difference. Jesus, we come before you as a church family. And we thank you for all that you are doing in this place and all that you're calling us to. We love
love you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. And we're moving arm in arm through the tall grass of this world, united, on purpose, on mission, united together, but very, very unique. In Jesus' name we pray.